Hey everyone, welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. As always, we're brought to you by you with your support on patreon.com slash adherent apologetics. Today I'm joined once again by Will Craig. You may remember him from Thursday if you were planning on stopping by. Um, unfortunately, YouTube was having some issues, but here we are. Uh, Will, welcome back. How are you doing? Good, good to be here. <laughs> Uh, just in case you're listening via podcast and you saw this guy named Will Craig, this is not William Lane Craig. Um, William Lane Craig is just he's not he's not well known enough. So we got Will Craig. We 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 put a little bit extra on the budget um, today to get Will on. But Will, um, if just to start off, can you talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do in case someone doesn't know like who you are? Yeah, sure. So as he as he has said, my name is Will Craig, William Lewis Craig, not William <laughs> Lane Craig. I am a second year math PhD student at the University of Virginia studying in number theory. Um, I'm originally from North Carolina, went to college at Virginia Tech, now at UVA. That's a venture hmm. for about, oh gosh, it's three, three and a half years now or so, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. I, I think I did that right in my head. I, I mean, you are like I, a PhD math student. You, you should be able to figure this out. Yeah, because I think it was 2017. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be three years then. Um, in case you guys don't know who Will is, he's been on a few times. Uh, one time he came to talk about the argument for mathematics, another time about mental health. Uh, Will did a great job of laying out the argument for mathematics. You can go back and find that if you haven't listened to it before. Definitely worth the time. Um, but today we're just going to be talking to Will about his journey to Christianity, about apologetics and things like that. Will was an agnostic at one point, um, but now he's a Christian. So whenever you're ready, Will, just take some time and just kind of like lay down your story, kind of like who you are, or, I mean, you talked about who you are, but just like your journey into the agnosticism and like back to Christianity and like what that looked like and take as much time as you need uh, to do that. Yeah, thanks. So it's a little, I don't always quite know exactly what to say and what not to say, uh, <laughs> but I guess I'll just start early on just for background. I grew up in a Christian home I and I grew up calling myself a Christian. I don't think now when I look back, I don't think it would be appropriate to say that I was a Christian, but I certainly thought of myself as a Christian for a long time growing up. Uh, another thing about me growing up is uh, I have ADHD and had a difficult time. Uh, also, well, the combination of having ADHD and being super, super into math since the time I was like four doesn't make for a very good, uh, a very good social life or very high self-esteem because of uh, because of social life. So. Mm -hmm. There were always some kinds of self-doubt and problems there uh, that would kind of blow up on me a little bit later in a bigger in a bigger sort of way. Uh, growing up, in terms of my relationship to Christianity, uh, I went to youth groups a pretty substantial amount. I my parents went to church every Sunday. I would go with them. I knew my Bible fairly well, at least for someone within that age group. I knew like Bible stories and I could quote things probably better than a lot of other. Uh, Christians could, but I don't think I really ever understood the emotional slash spiritual slash relational aspect mm -hmm. of it. It was all something of the mind for me that never really, it never really connected in a big way. Um, and that kind of, that was, that was kind of the whole narrative through like middle school and high school. Uh, so getting kind of very slowly more and more disconnected from things relating to Christianity. I still, in my head, believed a lot of the basic things, but I kind of was slowly detaching myself from it, although I still thought that I believed all of it. 
Um, and then when things really started to change, I would say would be kind of towards the towards the very end of high school, so like senior year, especially the second half of senior year, and then uh, first like first semester freshman year of college at Virginia Tech. Uh, just for, for, for a reference of the thing that got it changing, it wasn't really anything intellectual per se, although there were certainly intellectual type questions that later became kind of intertwined with it. Uh, the big thing that started my course away from Christianity at that point was, um, I don't want to give too much detail about this because it's not just about me and I don't feel comfortable revealing details about other people's lives. But uh, there was a, a person with whom I'm very close, I was very close at the time who um, treated me very, very poorly. Uh, I, I would call it emotional and verbal abuse for a pretty substantial period of time. Um, and that coming from a mental place where I already did not think very much of myself and had a very difficult time making friends, uh, and then in this this relationship that I had with this individual was in my mind at the time and possibly genuinely this this may this may well be genuinely true the first person I think who ever really knew me on, on like me on the inside because I had such a hard time expressing myself and this person was the first person really to kind of you know get inside and actually actually encourage me to you know talk about how i was feeling or things like that before then i didn't wasn't really even self-aware enough to know like that i had feelings like everyone else did being so into math people would often think of me more as some kind of like number crunching machine than as a person and so at the same time that i was kind of learning about my own internal emotions for the first time i was also being really deeply hurt by this by this person um every time a mistake i made any kind of mistake accidental or intentional or whatever what have you or even imaginary even if it wasn't really a mistake it was just something that was perceived as uh not desirable or whatever then i would get yelled at um pretty the the best case scenario would be a uh, pretty severe yelling and sometimes leading to a lot of insults i would get like blocked uh temporarily out of anger um there was there were a lot of far more severe instances of uh mistreatment that i don't think would be appropriate to say on a youtube uh stream if anyone wants to talk to me about these privately i'm happy to i'm happy to talk privately but uh like things and things that would involve that that would get too graphic to really be appropriate to bring up here so i don't want to do that but the point is uh in the moment while these things were happening as many people who are in an abusive situation are i was kind of under an illusion of this being fine not really realizing that I was putting my entire self-worth into this person and putting uh, and like putting my entire emotional health onto this person. And so then when that uh, when that relationship uh, when when my relationship with that person ended in uh, towards the end of my freshman year of college, I just I completely collapsed psychologically, physically, 
pretty much in every way you can imagine. Um, one way that I often put it is I it came to a place where uh, as a mathematician, I would hear the phrase, I love you, the same way that I would hear someone trying to convince me that two plus two is five. Mm -hmm. Just didn't, it would go in one ear and out the other, like, yeah, okay, you're saying that, but that's just so obviously false because why would anybody feel that way about me? That doesn't make any sense. There's nothing to love here. Um, I struggled very, very briefly with self-harm that did not and it was not a i guess quote severe kind of self-harm in the sense that that nothing that could leave behind a scar or anything like that and it was just one or two isolated occasions but i struggled with thoughts about it a lot more um i can remember times crossing the street kind of in my head hoping that i had accidentally not seen a bus coming or something a lot of really dark a really a lot of really dark thoughts about myself about life in general i never really wanted to i wouldn't say that i ever wanted to commit suicide or that i had suicidal thoughts but i didn't exactly want to be alive either mm. i i would have been quite okay at, at that stage of my life i would have been quite okay with dying mm. i wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have minded too much um so that was all that was all really difficult and in relationship to God during that time, as many people going through these kinds of experiences would, I began to think, wait a minute, why is all of this happening? If God is there, then why, why am I hurting this much? I like, obviously like I could understand in myself, like, okay, well, some amount of suffering is going to happen. And like, that's not, that never made me question anything, but thing, but, it became so severe and then joining this with the thought that I just couldn't conceive of anybody or anything loving me that brought me to a point where um, I began to say like, well, then if nobody can love me, God can't love me. But if there is a God then, or a God, anything like what Christianity talks about, then that God would love me. And so it all was very confusing because it seemed like, there couldn't really be any God like that. Hmm. It did not make sense in my head. And so I did, but I never really concluded that there definitely wasn't a God either. Uh, I would say uh, uh, at the time it would probably have been, uh, I would kind of maybe kind of flip between some kind of like deism and some kind of agnosticism based on my mood almost, just depending on the day. Mm -hmm. depending on what made the most sense in context for convenience reasons, which makes me think I was probably more of an agnostic if I would flip on the question based off of whatever situation, like whatever made the situation the least uncomfortable for me. I don't really know though. It was very, it was very dark, very confusing. I didn't really know uh, what was going on during that time. And um, so coming the beginning of getting out of that place, I would kind of, I would put the beginning of that process when I joined the marching band my sophomore year at Virginia Tech. I was a, I, I, I marched sousaphone for anybody who wants to know. That's the big, I don't even know what that is. That's the big, like, it's a tuba that you wear. So, like, it, the tuba will move across, like, it'll sit on your left shoulder, this giant bell, like, right here. 
and it's like 20 or 30 pounds. It's very large. It's the biggest instrument that's not a drum. If you watch a marching band, uh, you should be able to find it relatively easily. Hmm. Um, so I, I played that. That was a lot of fun. But uh, through that, I got to know some some people who some real. I, I began to make some really good friends. Um, one in particular, whose name is Emily, uh, was uh, a very a very good friend, and also at the time was dating the guy who lived in the dorm like next to me my freshman year. So like we had some mutual connections before I got into the marching band, and then I did, and then I saw her more. Uh, our social group would like walk to practice for like a, it was like a 15 minute walk every day there and a 15 minute walk back. So I spent a lot of time around these people and that was all really cool. And uh, I knew that she was a Christian, but for a, for a lot of that time, it didn't, it didn't really come up very much. Um, it would come, it would come up occasionally and she would invite, she would invite me a lot to go to InterVarsity, which was the group, uh, an on-campus Christian group that she was a part of. And, I would think about it, and but I felt like I was too busy at the time. Uh, I may have also just been trying to avoid it because I scared to try to make friends or whatever. I don't really know. Uh, that it was all very confusing. I'm not sure if I was trying it, to avoid it or not. But I didn't really go that semester. Um, but then towards the end of the semester, the point where things really started to change was uh, she, in December of that year, uh, she went through a breakup for a, for a pretty long relationship. And it was really hard on her. And uh, when I could, I could kind of just, I remember being able to just see it on her face and thinking about all of the, uh, all of the pain that I had, that I had been going through with this other, uh, with the other person who I had, and I had mentioned earlier. And I remember thinking to myself that, even if I'm never going to be, you know, loved by anyone again, maybe at least I can try to help someone help this not happen to somebody else. Maybe that's, maybe that's something that I can do. Just make sure that nobody else has to hurt the way that I'm hurting right now. And so when I got a chance, I, you know, I had kind of a one-on-one -on -one conversation with her and, and told her, um, some of the stuff that I had been going through, which I'd been going through for almost a year at that point, but I'd never, I hadn't told anybody before how, and how much pain I was in, or that I had been struggling with things like self-harm, depression, anxiety, flashbacks, anything like that. And I started to share a little bit of that with her. I didn't share very much, but the something weird, or at least weird to me happened when I started sharing these things, she could, she completely forgot about what had happened to her and she just started trying to help me hmm. and she, she wouldn't let me talk about what was happening to her. She just wanted to, uh, it's a good, it's a, it's a fond memory, but hmm. she, she kept trying to make sure I was okay and wanting to talk about the things that I had been going through. And I didn't know how to process it at the time. In in that moment, I was just sitting there like, wait a minute, Nobody could ever love me, but she's kind of acting like she does. This is weird. Mm. And I don't mean love like romantically or anything. I just mean like the basic platonic agape. So as I didn't know this word at the time, but agape kind of love, like that sort of uh, self-sacrificial sort of thing. So in my mind, it's like, all right, it kind of looks like I'm being treated like that. But also nobody could ever treat me like that because I suck. 
So like, what's going on here? This is confusing. I don't know what's, I don't know what to think of this. So that, but that did end up kind of bringing us uh, closer as friends. And then a similar thing happened oh, about a month later with another friend in that same group who happened to also go to InterVarsity and had recently become a Christian. And so in the time between that first and second semester of my sophomore year, uh, getting to getting to getting uh, some very uh, unusually kind treatment from mm. some Christians who had been inviting me to this group. And so at the beginning of that next semester, I thought to myself, you know what? Like, what do I what do I have to lose? Maybe I can, like, maybe maybe by going there, I can like make a friend or like find a relationship or something, and maybe that'll help some of the pain go away. Who knows? What do I have to lose? And then I went. And then just ev everything was different immediately. Something was the very, I remember the very first time that I went to that group, I think I probably, I think if you added up the like time snippets that I was crying during, it was probably like 20 minutes out of an hour. It was really intense. I didn't really know what was going on emotionally, but the 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 talk at the large group the first one that i went to was about the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude and it brought to mind the something that i had been do, using as a coping mechanism i had been going out on long walks alone at night for like some of them were as short as like 20 or 30 minutes some of them would even be like 3 4 hours mm -hmm. of just like just like talking into the night not really thinking necessarily of anybody listening to me sometimes like pretending there was someone like next to me on the sidewalk that actually cared about me mm. and pretending to tell them all of these things I was feeling. Mm. And then that kind of hearing a, hearing a person in a position of religious authority, say something like that, talk about this kind of discipline kind of got me, got me thinking that maybe, you know, maybe there is something to this after all. Maybe I maybe I need to look a little bit more into this. And I still didn't really I definitely was still not at a place where I thought that that I was sure that God existed or that God loved me or anything mm -hmm. like that. But given the amount of emotional connection that happened there, I thought, well, there's gotta be something here. Maybe it's not maybe it's not religion, but it's something. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not God, but it's something. I'm gonna figure out what this is. And so I kept going pretty much every time I went, I, there would be a substantial amount of crying, a substantial amount of emotions that I had to process and think about. And then uh, about after about a month of this, there was a retreat that the group went on and I went and it was the, the I learned after deciding or committing to go that the topic of the talk or the, the, the topic of the weekend would be the Holy Spirit and having grown up a Christian. I, I didn't really know much about that, actually. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, oh man, this like these talks can be really boring. Like, what is what is this? What is this gonna be? This is weird. But there are some cool people here, so I'll still go. Maybe, who knows, maybe it'll be fun. And then I just got floored while I was there. Um, pretty much everything this guy said just shook me really really deeply i didn't exactly know what was going on yet for at least the beginning part 
all I knew is that whatever this guy was saying was there was something really true in it. And then um, kind of, I, it was about halfway through, I believe, when this happened. Uh, we were doing something called a guided prayer. I think that's what most people would call it. But the the what we, what we were doing was the speaker was kind of trying to like, like have ha, had us like close our eyes and tried to like set a scene of like, we're in a room with Jesus. And like, he's like, you know, like a, it was a room with like a table and I think it was a dining table or something. And just kind of set, setting this scene for... Uh, kind of a prayer and reaching out to the Holy Spirit and whatnot. And there came a point where like he was saying, okay, and Jesus is like walking up to you and he says something. And then I heard a voice. And up to that point, it had been like, you know, I was visualizing a room. So I was like in control of the visual and all of that. And I lost control of the visual that I was seeing. So I, I guess that would be called the vision. I don't know if I necessarily want to call it that, but wh whatever it was, all I know is that I heard a voice and it wasn't the same as like any voice of anyone ever heard. It wasn't like the voice of me talking to myself in my head. It was none of those. It was way too loud to be like that. And no one else in the room heard it. And the voice said, it's okay. You can love again. Hmm. And I was just in, I was in shock. I didn't know what, what to do, what to think. And then there were some other aspects of the, and then uh, there was suddenly Jesus like brought me over to a, to a, like a door in the corner of the room and showed me just the most beautiful landscape I'd ever seen that I'd seen a long time ago in a, um, in a similar kind of guided meditation exercise mm. a few years back, but I hadn't been able, I, it was a image I had tried to revisualize in my head because it was, there was something about it that connected with me. And that had been the first time I had really seen it since then. And I was very confused. I didn't really know what to make of those words. The it's okay. You can love again. I didn't know what to make of the fact that I had just heard a voice that was weird hadn't heard nothing like that had happened to me or anyone I had known before. So I didn't really know what to do with this. And right after this exercise, we went, we broke into small groups and the leader whose name was Jake of the small group that I went to um, opened it up with like, you know what guys, I, there's like, there are things like that we could talk about here. There are like guided questions we could do, but I don't really want to do any of that. Uh, I've felt led to, sharing my testimony which he had and he was like he had never done this before but he felt like god was calling him to share it with us and it was shockingly similar mm -hmm. to what i had been feeling it was almost tick for tack like the same emotions they they came about in a different way for him it was his best friend in middle school got hit by a train and killed just out of nowhere and he fell into a really bad depression after that and the emotions that he was expressing were the the same like almost the same words that i had been using in my head to think about what i was feeling and it was so bizarre and then he was talking about how co coming to christ had um given him you know had helped him with this and how he you know like felt loved for really the first time and that whole situation combined with other like alone time that I'd had between the prayer and the 
small group meeting, what I had realized was that the voice was that 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 phrase that I had heard. What it was really saying was that I am an emotional person by nature. I am pretty. I am pretty emotional, especially for the males. Not to be too stereotypical about it, but I think there is some truth to this. I am. I am much more emotionally expressive than most. At least most men around me are, and um, I had been for my entire life, either unaware of that or ignoring it and actively shutting it down. And I, and I guess it, it came to a point where that I, I realized like, look, if, if I, God is calling me to follow him, but if I'm going to follow God, I have, I, I'm being told very clearly that I cannot be, like hold up these emotions like I had been doing. That was off the table as an option. Hmm. If you're gonna follow Jesus, then you're not allowed to do this anymore because this is not how I made you. And so that night I gave my life to Christ and decided to start actually talking to people about what had been going on in my life. And I opened up to Jake uh, and the other guys in that room. Uh, right after Jake was done, I opened up about uh, more than I've ever that I had ever opened up to to anybody in a room full of strangers, which was a very new very new experience for me. Mm -hmm. um, and Jake became a really good mentor and helped me a lot. And I over the next two months or so, I I greatly uh, improved. I kind of I began to learn to see myself as loved by God, and eventually also maybe maybe loved by other people who were like the the people who i had shared a little bit with before even coming to christ they they both really really helped me a lot mm. in letting me you know kind of voice what i was experiencing and trying to help me think about it in more healthy and more biblical ways and then uh, another huge moment for me would be about two months after i came to christ um there was a a speaker from a local uh, African-American church that came to our uh, meeting and gave a really, really good talk. And there was really good worship. And I had been crying a lot. Uh, I think there was actually one, like one song during the worship. I didn't sing a single word because I was crying for the whole song. Mm. And the speaker noticed that. And after, uh, after things were, after like, you know, all the stuff was over and people were like talking afterwards, he walked up to me and made a comment. I guess he'd assume he had assumed that I was crying because I like, it was just like sheer love for the Lord. That was, he, he came from, he comes from a very charismatic um, kind of, you know, uh, church, I guess uh, that, that's very expressive. And it looked, I guess, to him, like, that that's where it was coming from. But I, I opened up to him and was like, well, yes, I am trying to love God, but that's not really where this is coming from. This was coming from a place of like a lot of depression and darkness and self-loathing and all of that. And so he, and I gave him like, I didn't even tell him the reason for those feelings. I just told him like the, that those feelings were there. And then he got someone who had come along with him and we went into a corner to pray. And I told them a little bit more and then we prayed together and then, during the prayer, the person that he had brought along, um, she prayed for 
probably about 10 minutes over me and it was very it was a very confusing 10 minutes because i remember during that prayer just thinking like wait a minute i did not tell this person that i felt this way how does she know that i feel this way hmm. and it was like every 20 seconds or so something would be said like hold on a sec i never said that but you're also right how do you know that hmm. this this is weird what's going on here hmm. and then afterward after the prayer was over the woman that he had brought and uh told me that like she that she wasn't even planning on going there that day but that she's realizing now that god had called her there and then she broke out or she she pulled out her um like her medical id and said i am a uh, i am a psychiatrist who's or a psychologist i forget i guess psychologist given her what i know her job to be that specializes in like uh in like interpersonal and relationship therapy Mm-hmm. And I saw, which of course was the the entire nature of my problem, unbeknownst to either of them before coming over to pray for me. And I just remember I saw that card and just every the entire world looked different. Um, I remember it felt like it felt like I had been wearing metal armor for my entire life, and that it was just finally off. And I have never felt as happy as I did the rest of that day. It was very, it was very confusing. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what to think of it because I had never felt so free before. And the only thing that I know to say this is that God healed my depression miraculously. I don't, I don't really know what else to do with this. I mean, it's not that there weren't struggles later. There were, I've, dealt with flashbacks to in varying degrees and frequencies even since then i had a very like even last night i had a very minor kind of anxiety flashbacky sort of episode it wasn't so bad but it still happens from time to time it but it it used to be so much worse especially before that and then it was just all gone mm-hmm. in a in the blink of an eye and so putting all of this together by then it's like yeah i know this is real mm-hmm. this is absolutely real there's nothing that i've ever experienced that was as real mm-hmm. as that and so i became very quickly very passionate in that organization i was a i was a bible study leader in that group within like 3 months of becoming a christian through some weird circumstances they don't normally you don't normally become a leader that quickly, but I uh, I was going to co-lead a Bible study with my mentor, Jake, but then I did a weird thing and decided to plant a Bible study within the marching band because, you know, why not? Let's just go for it. And so I did, and that Bible study existed for three years and was great. Uh, I don't I don't think it exists anymore. I'm not sure. Uh, haven't, I haven't kept up with some of those people as well as I should have. But I'm also COVID wouldn't help with that situation. So it might not, it, it, it probably doesn't exist anymore. But uh, all of that was really cool. And uh, over time, I began to see, especially in my capacity as a leader there, how the, the ways that I had been hurt in my past had enabled me to help other people who were struggling with similar things or sometimes even substantially worse things than what I had gone through. Um, and so I've over time become like really, really grateful for all of um, everything that's happened. Uh, even the even the bad stuff, to some extent, I 
I would I would say that I wouldn't that if you gave me an opportunity to wipe it away, I would say no. I don't want to wipe that away because that that made me who I am. And you may notice that in all of this, apologetics never came up. Huh. Yet I seem to be very into apologetics. How did this happen? Well, uh, funny thing, Zach mentioned a guy a little earlier. His name is William Lane Craig. You may know him. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah, some of you, some of you may are. Uh, I mean, he's kind of like. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. He's. Uh, he has influenced me so much, and his ministry has been a huge help to to me in reju giving me the kind of intellectual rejuvenation that my that my uh, group at InterVarsity brought to my emotional and spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Doctor Ministry did that for my intellectual life. But it was sometime about six months, maybe about six months after I became a Christian, sometime around there. And one day I was just thinking like, you know what? I have a really, like, I have a really common first name. I have a really common last name. I wonder if there are any famous people that have my name. So I just typed my name into Google and looked at a Wikipedia. Like there was a Wikipedia list of, of like famous William Craigs or something, or something. And I saw this guy. I was like, it's like, oh, who's it? Like, okay, uh, I was just reading through the list. I was like, all right, there's a William Lane Craig. Oh, that's my middle initial. That's cool. Christian apologist. Wait, what's an apologist? I don't know what that is. So then I, like, you know, clicked through a couple of links, found Reasonable Fates website, and was just so excited. Yeah. Because uh, I had known for some time that I wanted to be a math professor, so I'm very academically minded. But nobody had ever, like, told me that there was an academic side, an intellectual side to Christianity. Mm. I just... I didn't know that. And then I accidentally stumbled upon it and thought it was like the coolest thing I'd ever found. Mm. And so I very quickly devoured like the, and I think I have, I, this is no longer true, but there was a point when I had listened to every single podcast that reasonable fate had ever developed. Huh? Wow. It was like a, like a 10 year backlog or something. And I, I erased or well, not the defenders podcast. I never quite got through that one. I'm going to though. I'm getting there. Um, but the regular Reasonable Faith podcast, I got through that whole thing within like a few months um, and just everything just took off from there. I found a lot of other ministries, including eventually Adherent Apologetics. <laughs> no, I know. And uh, yeah, that that is cool. So that is, I guess that's kind of an overview for mm -hmm. all of you of my story, where I've come from. Sorry, I couldn't share more some of the important details, but I want to keep some give some privacy to those people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing, just going through your story and stuff. I really appreciate it. Uh, a few more questions that I have for you. And then if there's any live questions, we'll open that up at the end. Um, but like you talk, just talked at the end about like the philosophy and apologetics side, Googling uh, your name, finding a William Lane Craig, who is like brings, just brought such a revival uh, to Christian philosophy. We've, we've mm -hmm. seen where it's just, it's crazy how many Christian philosophers there are now compared to like 70 years ago. But um, what interests you the most, like in like philosophy and apologetics and stuff? Like, I know you've been talking to me about like, you know, the argument from mathematics, you've mentioned mm -hmm. like mathematic modal arguments um, from like the ontological perspective, like where mm -hmm. are you seeing the most, like, where do you think your work could go? Like the intersection between like your math work and apologetics and like what, what just interests you? Yeah, so for obvious reasons, one of the things that interests me the most is the math science or the the science faith dialogue, because that connects very closely to my uh, chosen area of study. Because the scientists rely a lot on what we do to do their science, 
sometimes, I mean, they come up with their own stuff too, to be fair to them. It's not like, it's not like all of their stuff is just us. It's not mm -hmm. their own stuff too. And it's really cool. And I don't understand a lot of it, at least not as much as I would like to. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. But um, I kind of, but I understand enough that I can follow a lot of the kind of conceptual conversations about like what science is and what math is and what like theology and philosophy is. And like, I can, like, I, I can follow all of that pretty, pretty well. Mm -hmm. So that's always been something I've really enjoyed. And the Kalam cosmological argument, also uh, the love of William Lane Craig's ministry, obviously uh, you would, you would expect an interest in the Kalam from someone. Kalam's like his like third child. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Yeah, so I've always uh, I find the Kalam fascinating and argue and the argument for mathematics. I actually didn't know about that until pretty recently. I want to look into that more, but sadly, it turns out that getting a PhD is really hard. So, <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah, so I haven't had a lot of time. I do a lot of research already. Uh, if you want to, you could find there's a link somewhere in my blog to my professional web page, or you could just find it through UVA if you're interested in seeing what a professional math paper looks like. I have a couple of links on my on my page to some that I've worked on. Mm. Yeah, um, I do want to say as always, like Will's blog is linked down below. Great blog. Um, not many people interested in apologetics that are like a PhD in math. Um, so it's definitely a really I love like getting different perspectives like in the apologetics realm. Um, definitely need apologists studying math. Um, one thing that I think could be brought up as kind of like an objection is um, just like to your story and stuff, stuff is someone would say, well, it sounds like, Will, like your story and your testimony is all emotional and like how you did things and like we shouldn't make decisions like emotionally, um, stuff like that. So like, what do you think of like that? Someone says like, well, you didn't actually look at the evidence. You just kind of like went with like your heart instead of like your mind in terms of like your Christian story. Oh, well, I mean, if you're trying to argue, if you're trying to defeat that kind of a conversion based off of, so I guess one thing I would say is, well, emotion is a type of internal experience. And I, I would need you to, I would need you to differentiate between that and other internal experiences. For example, um, there is no empirical evidence that you can give me that the external world exists that I can't explain with Descartes' evil demon hypothesis. Mm -hmm. so how are we like how are we going to go about this we can't just rely on and of course this is not to discount uh science and this is not to discount you know physical uh, external evidence and things like that but the point is the point would be that n that's not like uh, omnipotent you mm -hmm. can't just do everything with that kind of objective external evidence and also i i would say that or whether or not what I actually had was a vision, I'm not. I'm not even sure. But let's just call it one for the sake of discussing it. I feel like that's pretty good evidence. That's the sort of thing that, like, if you ask like a Dawkins figure or a Hitchens figure what they would need, they'll say things. They, they a lot of them will say things like, "I would need to like see Jesus in a vision in front of me, like with a cross in the sky and all of that." It's like, well. I kind of had one of those. Mm -hmm. I heard a voice in my head that no one else could hear and was not something that I would have thought in my mind because that was the polar opposite of everything in my mind at that point in time. So that's, that explanation just doesn't make sense. I also don't have schizophrenia or anything like that. So that doesn't make sense. 
it just seems like the most reasonable inference from that experience. And also the fact that the message that that voice gave me was a true message. Mm-hmm. That's not trivial. Cause if I'm, if I'm having some kind of like psychotic experience or psychotic episode, what's the probability that it's going to tell me something true? Well, that, that doesn't seem very high. It's at most 50%, possibly lower. And so those things would kind of, I think, put together to, I think that what I would say is that doesn't mean that Christianity is definitely true. And I would want to only go so far as to say, you can't just discount personal experience like that. Mm. It has a place in the conversation. Yeah, I think um, just very briefly, like, I think a lot of times the emotional side and the intellectual side are so important because um, at least if you can distinguish between the two, it helps you understand because people really don't make decisions from just the heart or just the mind. It's usually the two are very interconnected um, and such. What we'll do yeah. now is uh, we'll open up to a little bit of Q&A. There's a few questions. Yeah, wait, I, th- I thought of one other thing I could oh, add. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, we have time. Yeah, so I, I was thinking a little bit more about the whole thing and like uh, maybe maybe one thing I would say, and this is something similar to something that, that Dr. John Lennox, who I also love, said, talking to Richard Dawkins. This is kind of going off of that. But say that you are, let's say you're married. Let's say you're an atheist and let's say you're married. Uh, wouldn't it be true that a lot of the evidence you have that your wife loves you is emotional evidence? Or the evidence that you love your wife isn't a lot of that emotional evidence? So can I discount all of that because it's emotional? Well, I think not. I think that in that context, that would be entirely appropriate as a kind of evidence to bring forward. And because Christianity makes the claim that God is relational, that that we can have relationship with God in some sense, I think it would be entirely appropriate to bring as one piece of evidence in a cumulative case, an emotional piece of evidence. Not that that's necessarily going to convince someone who doesn't yet believe, but for me, that's very real evidence for me. Because it's an experience that is, it's just as real to me as my conversation with you is. Mm. Um, awesome. Well, thank you. Um, one thing, uh, we'll go into Q&A now um, for a little bit. So if you have questions, as I said before, uh, feel free to drop them in. There's a few, and we'll just kind of see what happens. I'll go for about 10 or 15 more minutes. Um, first is from Kyle Volmar, which says, um, what are Will's favorite arguments for God? Hint, the right answer is an a priori, argu- a priori argument. Yeah, actually, uh, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to message me what the a priori argument is because I don't I don't actually know what that is, uh, or or at least if I do, I don't know it by that name. I would say that uh, my favorite two are, or at least in the sense of the ones that I enjoy thinking about the most, would be the Kalam and the argument from mathematics that I presented on. I guess it was about a month or so ago now on Zach's mm-hmm. channel. Uh, although the argument for mathematics is very new to me, so I don't, I would need to do more research to determine whether or not it's definitely convincing to me. But so far, it's I find it pretty convincing, mm. uh, given my background in math. I think all the claims that Dr. Craig, Craig makes about mathematics are dead on, and I think all the claims he makes about science on the conceptual level are also dead on, as distinct from mathematics. And so I find all that convincing. The Kalam is also just a lot of fun. There's a lot of, you get to go into a lot of different areas with the Kalam. You get to go into philosophy of time. You get to go into metaphysics. You get to go into science. You get to go into lots of, you get to go into causation. Uh, you get to go into a lot of cool stuff. So I, I enjoy that one. 
Qualm has to be like one of the most debated things in philosophy. Like I just saw like there's just people are just always responding to Dr. Craig. Like there was Alex Malpass a few months ago on his like progression, his argument from like with time and like uh, all that stuff. Um, and then there was just a few, like a few weeks ago, Woodlandberg released an article saying it was like self-defeating um, in a sense. I'd have to go back to the paper to dive into it. Um, yeah, I'd have to do that too. I think I, I, I saw a video from Ele Elephant Philosophy. Yeah, I was, that would have probably been covering it. Yeah, I might have to listen to it. Mm -hmm. I haven't done that yet. It has to do with like God going from timeless into like into time. Um, I have to. Oh, okay. That, that was I like. See. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so interesting stuff. Um, kind of goes into this next question here from the programmer, uh, which says, uh, "What do you think of the Kalam cosmological argument? Do you think it works? Are <laughs> you an A theorist or a B theorist?" So really, just like everything we just talked about. Yeah. So, well, I didn't talk about the theory, my theory of time though. Yeah. And so I do, I do think the Kalam works. I think the premises are true. Uh, and of course there are different ways you can formulate it. There's the ways that I'm most familiar with are Dr. Craig's and the one that capturing Christianity is using in his debate with rationality rules. I believe that that's for, that it was formed that way by Coons and Proust. I believe I have, I have Proust's book, but I haven't read it yet, mm -hmm. but I believe that formulation might be due to them. In any case, I think both of those forms of the argument work in the sense that I think the premises are true. I think they're more plausibly true than false, and they're I think they're logically valid arguments. Um, in terms of theory of time, I'm an atheist. Uh, sorry, sorry to you, B theorists out there, but I'm still pretty, I'm still pretty convinced by a theory. Um, I'm open to B theory. I think B theory could, I think it could be true, but I have problems with certain aspects of christian theology and experience with b theory so i withhold from believing b theory yeah uh just to clarify just for anyone who's not listening a theory is like they're, they're the past present future they're real they're distinct um b theory kind of say they're all equal in a sense that's a very short summary i hope of the a b theory um it's such a uh, few more questions here um Kyle was said he was talking about um, ontological arguments like modal perfection arguments. Maybe your take on those. Oh, 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 oh. okay. So you're talking about a class of arguments. Yeah, those are cool. Um, I've been thinking about it at some point. I know that a mathematician by the name of Kurt Gödel actually came out with a mathematical ontological proof. By mathematical, I mean he used the notation of mathematicians to do an ontological argument. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to look at that. I'm not, I haven't, I haven't really studied it. So I'm not, I'm not sure if it's a good one or not, but I would at least like to look, I think it's something like 25 or 30 premises long. So it's rather complicated, but I mean, a lot of those are conclusions, but mm -hmm. still. Still a pretty, pretty big argument to have all those premises. Yeah. Yeah, still, a lot of, still a lot of like looking to do in the details. Yeah. Something I just thought of, because you're talking about cosmological arguments for a second, is, is it's really interesting how many different like cosmological arguments there actually are. Like I, for a while, like when I was first looking at like apologetics and stuff, I thought it was like the Kalam, ride or die. But then there's like, there's all kinds where you got like feathers, like more like actu unactualized actualizer. You have like uh, ones from like the PSR. You can even use like a very weak PSR. Like uh, there's an explanation behind everything rather than like a whatever begins to exist have a cause, a stronger version. It's just amazing how many different cosmological arguments there are. Mm -hmm. So yeah. kind of random, but just something I brought up. Uh, a few more questions here, if they pop up. Um, Kyle says, what do you think of um, Cameron Choosy capturing Christianity's debate with rationality rules? 
Yeah, I'll just be frank on this one. Uh, in capture, I think it was rationality. I forget if it was rationality rules opening statement or first response. But the moment that he made the claim, something to the it was something to the effect that most it was either most or a lot of mathematicians and philosophers doubt the law of non-contradiction. Hmm. There is literally not a single mathematician that I can think of in all of history that has doubted the law of non-contradiction. So I lost a lot of respect for him after that. He also later made the claim that the set of natural numbers is potentially infinite, when in reality, the set of natural numbers is like example number one of something that is not potentially infinite, but is actually infinite. And so it seems to me that he, when whenever the math comes up, he just doesn't either, either he does not know what he's talking about and hasn't put in an effort to look, or he just doesn't care. And so I don't, I don't I, I don't like uh, the approach that has been uh, that has been taken. I think Cameron's doing a great job. I think I I'm pretty convinced by the Grim Reaper paradoxes. I, I think those are really, really powerful. Hmm. Um, kind of transitions perfectly into maybe our last question, if there's nothing else. Um, which says, what's your opinion on the argument that the universe could exist forever, whether it's like an infinite regress or an infinite universe, something along those lines? Yeah, so um, I am still convinced by, I'm not as convinced as I once was after a conversation with another uh, Christian, an email exchange with a Christian mathematician. I'm not as convinced as I was before about the non-existence of an actually infinite number of things. I still think that there could not be, but uh, I'm not quite as convinced as I was before. Um, but I'm still thoroughly convinced that you cannot form an actually infinite by successive addition. That is... As a as a mathematician, I cannot imagine what that would look like. <laughs> I I can't I can't think of how you would go about doing a thing like that. Um, every any time that we're forming something by successive addition, it's always a potential infinite. It's never an actual infinite, and so I think that's pretty uh pretty damning to the idea that the universe existed forever. Uh, and then the Grim Reaper paradox is just heap on even more abuse on that idea. As far as I can see, I haven't. I have not seen any good responses to the two versions of the Grim Reaper. So the, the, the Grim Reaper one where you have kind of, you know, the one hour interval and you split it into halves. That's kind of a version of, it's kind of a version of Zeno's paradox, um, except it's, it's formulated a little differently. It's not about motion. It would be about causation in that case. And then the, the one where it's the Grim, I guess, I guess in that debate, they're calling it the Grim messenger paradox. That one's even stronger. Because it it avoids some of the problems that are are that come up with like an infinitely divisible timeline or whatever you want to say with that. By the way, the universe began to exist, as Cameron would probably say. Um, yeah, but I mean, BTW, BTW, <laughs> the universe began to exist. Oh my gosh! Anytime I see a BTW now, I think of <laughs> so. If you yeah. have listened to this, Cameron, congrats! Yeah. You did something. Um, you had an impact on my life, I guess. Um, <laughs> But uh, Will, this has been so much fun. I appreciate your time. Is there any kind of like last thoughts you want to bring up before we start to wrap things up here? Um, I guess um, one thing, uh, I guess since a lot of the Q&As came related to like Kalam or math science philosophy things, um, I do want to just give the kind of a kind of a note for everyone out there. A lot of people who don't like if if you're hearing someone talk about math who like doesn't have a phd in math or philosophy they're probably botching a lot 
whether or not they're Christian or atheist or whatever, there it seems to me that like every time I've heard some kind of non-expert, like Graham Oppie, for example, Graham Oppie did a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Um, I I found his his he never made any like horrifying mistakes about the mathematics. I disagreed with him on some things. I think if you if you saw his dialogue with William Lane Craig on the argument from math. I think but, most people listening to that are going to not really know what's going on. Like, yeah, like Oppie, I could tell he knew. I kind of, I disagreed with some of what he said, but he, but he knows what's going on. Uh, it seems like a lot of people who are at the like lower levels, they just don't know what's going on with the mathematical end of things. So, be I would, I would advise caution with those, and also never dismiss personal testimony because that is important. And I have seen people come to Christ because of personal testimony, including mine. I've seen one person give their life to Christ after I gave mine. So never discount that. But as famous people on YouTube say, claims aren't evidence. So you need to prove to me that God exists and you haven't done that. So yikes. Mm. Uh, I guess they got me. <laughs> it's all yeah. over. Well, their, their, claim, their claim that claims are evidence isn't, an, isn't evidence. It's just a claim. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I need evidence. I need evidence for the <laughs> for the problem for the idea that claims aren't evidence. Well, I, I think any. <laughs> I think we'll leave that for another day. Um, but Will, thank you so much for coming on. I'd encourage everyone if you're just here um, and you don't know who this Will Craig is. Obviously, you probably know who William Lane Craig is, but the new Will L. Craig, uh, who'll be taking the reins over, maybe. Um, there's a link down below to his blog. You can follow along. Great blog. Um, if you're new to hearing apologetics, I always, always, I'd encourage you to subscribe. Uh, you can leave a like on the way on if you're listening via YouTube or leave a review if you're listening via podcast. Um, and if you enjoy the show, you can support the show on patreon.com slash hearing apologetics. Right now, we're about 85% funded, I think, something like that. So I really appreciate everyone's support. And if you don't support, you can support on Patreon for like one, two, five dollars a month. Anything helps. But Will, thank you so much for your time, man. It was such a great conversation. Um, just hope you have a good evening. And thank you so much for just sharing uh, your story. I really yeah. appreciate it. I'm sure everyone listening did. Oh yeah, I love doing it. It's always it's always fun. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate your honesty. Appreciate you tuning in. Um, thank you and God bless everyone. I hope you have a good